Hello. Thank you for your interest in spiritual matters. We hope that you're doing well. We're glad that you're joining us as we're discussing very important principles of how we should live based upon what God has told us in the Bible. My name is Ethan and I work with the Venice Church of Christ and we're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. And today we're going to talk about one of the most critical relationships that we all have in life and that is between parents and children. Even if we are not parents, we are somebody's children. And even if our parents were not maybe the best parents, that relationship still exists. And we want to talk about the things that we should do as parents and as children. But we do not want to rely on the wisdom of men. It's very easy to find all kinds of such wisdom. That's why the whole self-help section exists at your local library or bookstore or on Amazon. Instead, we want to focus on the wisdom of God as revealed in Scripture, and be, therefore we're going to spend most of our time concentrating on Ephesians chapter 6 and the first four verses. Now, Ephesians is a letter written by Paul to the church in Ephesus. He might have also written other churches as well as a type of encyclical letter going different places, somewhere between 57 and 59 of the first century while he was imprisoned. He's been talking about various things in the letter, but the context that we're talking about here is introduced in chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So there's all kinds of things being spoken about here that involve being imitators of God and a walking in love. He talks about some matters of sin and righteousness. And then in verse 15 he says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in hymns and so- psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, excuse me, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, In that section, we see we're supposed to walk wisely, using the time properly, not being foolish, understand the will of the Lord. What is the will of the Lord? We're not supposed to get drunk with wine, we're supposed to get drunk on the Spirit, with singing, praying, and this idea of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul will then spend verses 22 through 33 of chapter 5 relating this to the husband and wife relationship as well as the relationship between Christ and the church. And we should not take verse 21 about submitting to one another as if that's somehow antithetical to the submission of the wife and the church to the husband and Christ, specifically. As if somehow Paul is suggesting that all of these relationships should be on egalitarian footing. That is not what he's saying at all, and that's clear as we enter into chapter 6. And we do well remember that we have a chapter verse division here, where verse 33 of chapter 5, and then chapter 6, verse 1, there were the, these divisions did not exist in the ancient text. They were just continued on uh, as themes. So, Paul has shown how wives and husbands submit to one another reverence for Christ, and as Christ in the church does as well, and then moves on now to talking about children and parents. Uh, Paul begins with children. And we read in verse, verses 1 through 3, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment of the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so Paul begins by saying something that's right. Parents, children are supposed to obey their parents. That's just what's right. It's the natural order of things. 
parents have wisdom and knowledge and experience to some degree more than that of their children, especially at younger ages. There's something very important to note in this text here, that there's no time frame associated with this passage. A lot of times uh, in modern culture, uh, parenting is kind of that thing you do until the child's 18. And the idea is after they're 18, they're out on their own. And whereas it's certainly true that the parent-child relationship changes significantly once the child has left the house of their parents, we don't see anywhere in Scripture that somehow parents stop being parents and children stop being children after a certain amount of time. As long as the parent is still alive and the child is still alive, they are the parent of that child. And therefore... Everything we're seeing here in Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 3, uh, speaking to children, uh, there likely are young people in the church in Ephesus to whom Paul's talking, either as full Christians themselves or perhaps as uh, children of Christians listening to this letter. And they should certainly obey their parents and the Lord. But the majority of the people to whom Paul is writing are adults. Yet Paul tells them to obey their parents and the Lord, for that is right. Now, we need to keep that in mind, that idea of in the Lord, because especially in first century Ephesus, especially to many of these Christians, many of whom are first generation Christians, they were the ones whom either Paul or some of Paul's associates directly preached the gospel to and they converted, their parents are still pagan, they're still Gentiles. Uh, Maybe some of the Jewish Christians, their parents never converted out out of Judaism. And so that will lead to very likely possible conflicts where the parents will pressure the children to honor a goddess or to continue to participate in Jewish rituals in such a way that would offend the conscience and would fall into sin. And so that's why Paul says to obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Recognizing, of course, that if there's a contradiction where the parents are insisting on something that God has said is wrong or sinful, that is, Peter said in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than man. Now, when Paul emphasizes this, he, he goes to the Ten Commandments. He goes back to the Law of Moses. He quotes Exodus 20.12. He doesn't just quote it. But he also adds a parenthetical commentary. Uh, He notes that this is the first command of the promise. That, you know, you look at the earlier uh, commandments. uh, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make a graven image. You shall not bow down before it or serve it. You shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain. Honor the Sabbath. uh, Honor the Sabbath. They keep it holy. Now, honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you. And that you may live long in the land and in the command that Yahweh your God has given to you. And it is indeed the first command of the promise, that if you do this, these good things will happen. Now, why does he make that promise? Well, uh, for somebody who did not honor their parents, but flagrantly disrespected them and spoke evil of them, um, they would be stoned to death in the law of Moses. And you don't live very long when you've been stoned to death. Uh, But normally it's because if you honor your parents and you respect your parents, odds are you're going to honor laws and respect laws. You have a healthy respect for authority and authority figures. You're going to follow what God says. You're going to follow the laws of your land. And you are going to work within the system, and that generally means things will go well with you. And we tend to see the people for whom life is short are the people who... um, 
are more disobedient to the laws of the land, often participate in behaviors that are very risky and can often lead to death. Um, and, and a lot of that has become they did not have a great relationship with their parents. Partly parents' fault, likely, but also a lot of the, parent, of the child's fault in terms of not following um, the wisdom of their parents or elders around them. And so children are called upon to obey their parents because they're striving to do the best that they can. The Hebrew author will talk about this in terms of, more in terms of the nature of God's discipline, but we can learn something from the uh, illustration by which he speaks about God. In Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 7, he says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness." So yes, the point is that, well, if you were a legitimate son, that uh, i.e. that your dad wanted you to inherit your pro- his property and therefore uh, had a vested interest in how you turned out, he would have cared for you. And part of the way he showed his care for you was by disciplining, uh, providing that chastening when behavior was inappropriate. And it wasn't because he enjoyed it as much as he wanted you to turn out all right. And that was based upon the best understanding he had. And Therefore, he's making the argument, well, the Father's spirits, God is so much better than our fathers, uh, we should certainly trust uh, that he has our best interests at heart when he's trying to discipline us. And that's something that's very important. But we also need to understand what it means to honor father and mother. A lot of people look at honoring father and mother and they think, well, I need to speak nicely to them, I'm not supposed to disrespect them, I'm not supposed to hurt them, etc., etc. And that's all great as far as it goes, but it goes beyond just listening to them. And for this, we need to consider what Jesus has to say in Matthew chapter 15. Now again, in context, Jesus is ripping the Pharisees because they have mitigated the word of God based upon their traditions. But let's see the exact example that Jesus uses. God commanded, verse 4, Matthew 15, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. So these are the commandments we've been talking about. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites! So what Jesus is condemning here is the Pharisees have provided an out for a, a, a child, saying that whatever he would have given to his parents provision in their old age has been given to God, as if somehow giving a gift to God obviates his need to take care of his parents. What Jesus is trying to say here is, God, that, that one to whom you would give these things, has commanded for you to take to honor your father and mother. And so Jesus has a very clear idea of what that means. It doesn't mean just thinking nicely of them and, and sending a card at, at relevant points. It means to take care of them. To honor your father and mother is to provide for them when they're no longer able to provide for themselves. And so therefore, first of all, this does not end at 18. Because it shows that to honor father and mother, you maintain some sort of relationship throughout life. And yes, in Genesis 2.24, a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife. Uh, he, he, a man who is married must put his wife before his parents. A man who is not married must still put God before his parents. Uh, but the parents need to be a priority. 
And when the time comes, if that time comes, when a parent cannot function as independently because of advanced age or illness, the responsibility of their care absolutely falls upon the children, and the children are supposed to take care of them. And this is not taking. This is not handled well in our society. Uh, unfortunately, older people are treated as if disposable; that they're to be put in nursing homes and things like that, and are often forgotten. And that's not honoring father and mother. And instead, we as Christians should be modeling what it means to honor father and mother by providing, whenever possible and feasible, the necessary care. But we understand there are times when a parent might have an advanced illness or dementia or something like that where the child is not able to provide the care necessary. Nevertheless, the child should, as if all possible, sponsor that care that they cannot provide. We need to keep in mind, First Timothy 5 eight. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And in verse 16 of the same passage, If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let not the church be burdened, so they may take care of those who are truly widows. And here Paul expands it beyond just parents to household members, family members. So it could be an aunt, it could be an uncle, it could be a grandparent, it could be a cousin. Uh, a much broader view of taking care of family. And taking care means to provide uh, the necessities to make sure they are fed and taken provision and sheltered and all of that. Uh, it goes beyond just making them feel good about themselves. And so that's the responsibility that children have. And hope that we can see now why, even though he's writing to a bunch of adults, he's speaking to children. Because he's talking about the children's responsibility to their parents. And many times that responsibility is the most difficult and pressing. Not when you are young, but when you are older and your parents have reached the age where you need to take care of them. In verse 4, Paul speaks to the responsibility of parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's interesting here to notice that he speaks to fathers. The impetus of the parenting is on the father. This is not to say that the mother has no role. They are to love their children and take care of their children in Titus 2.4. Uh, but it's not the mother's sole job. And the responsibility falls upon the father. He is the one who is shepherding the family. He is responsible for the choices. He will be called to account for how the children turn out. And so we see here, as husbands and wives, now fathers and children. As husbands are to cherish and take care of their wives, parents are to likewise nurture and support the children. And Paul says specifically to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This word discipline here, uh, is not supposed to be overbearing. That's why it's not to provoke your children to anger. So the parents should not be overbearing. The children do not deserve mental and emotional cruelty. And if there is an overbearing parent, an overbearing discipline, there will be later repercussions. We could also include this in this uh, to raise children uh, as if uh, that you are going to vicariously live through them and to burden them with your expectations that go well beyond anything God would intend for them. Um, and that also has terrible later repercussions. So parents, fathers are not to provoke their children to anger, but instead they're to bring them up. No, it's fathers bring your children up, because children can grow up on their own and be influenced by others. Uh, God instead expects Christian parents to be active in raising the child. We've got this delusion in our world today that somehow if we just allow children all these choices that they will figure out the way they should go. And that's just silliness. Uh, 
nobody ever comes to an understanding of the way they should go that way. Uh, nobody is a dispassionate, objective observer who uh, makes the cold, rational decision of the best worldview. Instead, all of us are heavily influenced by factors around us. Uh, and therefore, if Christian parents are actively and deliberately trying to inculcate the biblical worldview, uh, the way that the Bible views God and man, man's sin problem, God's creation, God's provision for man's sin problem in light of Jesus. Uh, instead, the child will gain an understanding of themselves and their world around them, from the culture around them, a very humanistic, decadent, morally bankrupt view, and it'll be very hard to teach that out of them. And therefore, this requires the parents to be active in the process and to point the child in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. When it comes to discipline, we've already seen Hebrews chapter 12, also in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul will describe it in verse 24-27 in terms of the discipline of a race, uh, and running a race. And that's a very important way to understand this, because a lot of times when we talk about discipline, we're talking about the negative. People think about correction and ways of correcting a child, and, and correction is certainly part of discipline. We need to remember that discipline itself is simply going in a prescribed direction. A discipline is following a certain path and observing certain boundaries. Uh, and so if a child is going in the path that we want them to go in, we need to do positive discipline. We need to reinforce that. We need to show them and, and encourage them in doing the right things, as well as correcting them when we, they do the bad things. Uh, if only disciplined children receive is negative correction, they will be left confused because they don't know what they should be doing because they're not getting commended for what they're doing. Likewise, a child who does not receive anything but positive reinforcement and affirmation is confused because there's no boundaries and he need, he or she needs boundaries in order to know the way in which he is supposed to go and the proverbs solomon speaks frequently about uh discipline and the need for discipline and how discipline is to be enacted in proverbs chapter 13 proverbs 13 and in verse 24, Solomon says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. In Proverbs chapter 22, and in verse 15, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. And that is absolutely true. I think we can think back in our own lives when we were children when there was something that we thought was just going to be fine. And in our head it sounded great. It seemed to be great. It seemed like a great idea at the time. But it proved to be quite the contrary because we didn't know any better. Children are naive and foolish. They don't know any better. And that needs to be corrected. In Proverbs 23, in verse 13, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Sheol, the underworld, Hades, more specifically the negative aspect of that. Uh, for our condition spiritually, but back here, literally, if you provide correction, he's not going to do stupid things that will lead to his death. In Proverbs chapter 29, in verse 15, we hear, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And that is so apt today. 
with how many times children are left to themselves and what they end up getting themselves into. And it causes all sorts of miseries uh, from small children. Of course, by the time they reach teenagehood, there's lots of, of, of misery that is brought. And so this discipline we can see from Solomon will involve correction. And correction sometimes demands a physical response, uh, generally seen as spanking. Um, which has become very unpopular in, in American culture. Uh, all spanking is now considered by many in the country to be a form of abuse and akin to a violent beating. And that's unfortunate. But we need to make it clear that it is possible for people who get overzealous with, with the, this type of discipline and to spank a child so as to beat him. Uh, and that is not what is under discussion here. That's not the way it should be. Instead, uh, if there is physical correction in terms of spanking, it should be done, uh, not in anger, uh, but for the purpose of correction with an explanation and a discussion of exactly the nature of the inappropriate behavior, as we saw uh, in Proverbs, that it involved correction. And so the child needs to know the infraction for which the correction and the, the discipline is being enacted and the way they need to go. Otherwise, it's not productive discipline. It's just uh, taking out frustrations or anger, and that leads to the provoking of a son or a daughter. And that is more of an abusive type of situation. Nevertheless, having no forms of discipline, uh, no forms of correction, is, is even more toxic because a child does not have boundaries and engages in all kinds of foolish and ultimately rebellious behavior that will bring nothing but shame and misery upon the family. It's not just about discipline here. It's also about the instruction of the Lord. Parenting is not just about correcting. It's also about pointing the way forward. And pointing the way forward for children is so important. And we have a great example of this in the law in Israel. In Exodus chapter 12, as God makes provision to Israel, explaining the Passover and how they will do it, he says in verse 25, And when you come to the land that the Lord Yahweh will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is a sacrifice of Yahweh's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of, the people of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And, and so there's this expectation that children are going to ask why they are engaging the Passover, and the expectation of exactly what they should say in order for the child to understand what's going on. And it's also an expectation for them to, to show in it the power of God. And the difficulty that Israel had is that they forgot about God because sometimes they didn't observe the Passover the way they should. And when they didn't observe the Passover the way they should, their children were not given the uh, opportunity to ask questions about it uh, as they would naturally. And they did not therefore get to hear the story of what God had done for them. And therefore they did not follow in the paths that God would have them to follow. This is also why in Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, when God, Moses is talking to the people, he says the following, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Why? 
And when Yahweh your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. And when you are eaten and are full, take care then, lest you forget Yahweh, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is Yahweh your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods, the people who are around you, for Yahweh your God and your miss is a jealous God, lest the anger of Yahweh your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. So that law always needed to be in front of them, so they would remember who Yahweh was, who God was, and what he had done for them. And part of that was to teach their children that law, so the next generation would know of what Yahweh had done for his people, uh, that they would always be in humility toward and dependence of Yahweh, and the recognition that if that was not carried on, the people would not follow God, and said they would go after other gods, and that would lead to their destruction. And that is exactly what happens to this day. So many times we, we hear of situations where children are not following in the same footsteps of their parents in terms of serving the Lord. But how many of those times were are the children knowing a lot more about sports heroes of old or mechanical or other skills and things like that from their parents, but they haven't learned the Word of God in the text or in practice because of what their parents have, have, have shown them. They've proven willing to provide every other kind of instruction, but not the instruction of, of, of the most value and of the most importance. God inspects us to instruct children His Word through Bible studies in the assembly and in the family, and through attendance in the assembly. But there is an expectation of continual instruction through practicing the faith in real-life circumstances. And if that's not being done, we should not be surprised when the children don't act, follow what is said, because children know better. Because that's the best instruction, to live life of a Christian. As we can see in Galatians 2.20 and Romans 12. Because all children know how their parents are hypocrites. All children have really good hypocrisy detectors. They know when parents are saying one thing but doing another. And how can we expect our children to be faithful servants of God if that's not what we're doing? How can we expect our children to avoid sin and do righteousness if we're not avoiding sin and doing righteousness? Uh, if we share nothing but negativity regarding our faith or regarding the condition of our church or anything of that nature, why would we expect our children to somehow have their own healthy faith and healthy relationship with others in the church and so on and so forth? And so the parenting is certainly not easy. It's certainly not something that um, is, is easily done or uh, it takes so much in energy, in, in mental and emotional energy as much as physical energy, and it certainly teaches humility. But the rewards of good parenting and continued relationship with, with children who respect their parents and who serve the Lord uh, can be very great. And thus we've seen what Paul has to say to children and parents, and based upon that, what the wisdom of God is for parents and children in other places. That children are to obey their own parents for their own good. And the parents are to guide their children through effective discipline and to instruct their children the Word of God. And therefore, let us be the children and parents that God would have us to be, to honor our father and mother, to raise our children in the instruction and admonition and discipline of the Lord. If you have any questions or comments about anything we've talked about, you'd like to talk further about parenting or about being a child, about what it means to respect parents, honor parents, um, 
maybe if other questions or would like to discuss something else, maybe go through some difficulties and you have a prayer request or or any anything that you need, please let me know. Please contact me through our website at verbalvitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. And if you live in Los Angeles or you're traveling in the Los Angeles area, we'd love to kind of get to meet you. You can find out more about us online at VeniceChurchOfChrist.org. We're also on social media on Facebook, Google+, Instagram, Meetup, and Twitter, mostly at Venice Church. We again thank you, and have a great day.